the means of justification. That is, the means by which sinners can be made right with God has always been by faith alone. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello there, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue Tom's series in Romans 4, titled A Portrait of Faith. You know, one of the remarkable things about salvation is that even though we as Christians have weaknesses, true saving faith focuses on God's promises and on God's power to keep us saved. This was true of Abraham, and it is true of every Christian. It's an important reminder. We as Christians focus on God's promises and His trustworthiness in keeping them, instead of being carried away by our own weaknesses and challenging circumstances. Friend, is that true of you? Are you maybe overwhelmed by your circumstances, or are you trusting in God's faithfulness and His promises? Let's join our teacher for more now on The Word Unleashed. Paul writes, For this reason it, that is justification, a right standing before God, is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, that is, those who, who are Jewish and believe, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, that is, Gentiles who believe, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations, I have made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope, against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now this paragraph, just to remind you, occurs in the larger context of this fourth chapter. And, and the theme of the fourth chapter is Paul's biblical defense of justification by faith alone. His biblical defense meaning he wants to show his readers that the gospel he taught in the first century had its roots in the soil of the Old Testament, that the same gospel was essentially taught there. He uses his defense, as his defense, a passage taken from Genesis 15:6 and the justification of Abraham. His goal is to show that in the same way that Abraham was made right with God 2,100 years before Christ, that is the same way his readers in the first century, the same way you and I today are made right with God. Nothing has changed. Now, in chapter 4, beginning in verse 13 and running down through the end of the chapter, Paul uses Abraham and the passage he's exegeting from Genesis 15 
to prove that the means of justification, that is the means by which sinners can be made right with God, has always been by faith alone. Just to remind you of the flow of Paul's thought here, in verse 13 of chapter 4, we see justification by faith alone stated. He simply asserts that it is by faith alone. And then in verses 14 to 16, we see justification by faith alone argued. He lays out a series of both negative and positive arguments to show why it must be and always has been by faith alone. Now today, I want us to finish the third part of his argument that we've been studying together, and that is justification by faith alone illustrated. Begins in the middle of verse 17 and runs down through verse 22. Justification by faith alone illustrated. Now the key to the paragraph that we just read together is found in verse 22. Notice his conclusion. Therefore, in light of what I've just said, therefore it was also credited to Abraham as righteousness. In other words, the faith that Paul describes and illustrates in verses 17 to 21 was the means by which Abraham came into a right relationship with God. Now, that makes this passage absolutely critically important for every person and certainly for every Christian to understand. And that's true for two reasons. First of all, because this paragraph illustrates for us what justifying faith looks like, what saving faith looks like. If, if you want to know if your faith is saving faith, if it's justifying faith, you can look at the mirror of Abraham's faith and see if yours measures up, if it's true saving faith. But also it's important for a second reason, and that is for us who are believers. Because you don't stop exercising faith on the day of your salvation. Paul goes on to say, we walk by faith. Christians live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And so this passage then explains to us what the faith we ought to be exercising every day as Christians looks like as well. And so this is absolutely critical to our spiritual health. This is a portrait of faith. In fact, I believe this paragraph is the clearest, most complete explanation of faith anywhere in Scripture. Now, we've noted that Paul here identifies several qualities that mark justifying, saving faith. We've already looked at six of those qualities. Let me just remind you of them. We've discovered that saving faith is biblical faith. We noted that Paul uses the words here that are taken from the Old Testament, from the Septuagint. The Bible of the first century, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament that Jesus and the apostles used most of all. These words are not taken out of secular culture. They come from the, the root of Old Testament studies. Therefore, Paul is talking about the same kind of faith. It is a biblical faith. Secondly, we discovered that saving faith is rooted in God's character. The reason we believe God is because of who God is. Because He's trustworthy. Because He's able to do whatever He promises to do. It's rooted in God's character. Thirdly, we discovered that saving faith is a certain hope in God's promise. Verse 18 says, 
in hope, Abraham believed. I noted for you that the English word hope has no, no representation of the Greek idea whatsoever. Forget the English word hope. The biblical New Testament word for hope is a word that means an eager anticipation of what I know is going to happen. We don't use the word hope in English like that at all. But Paul says, in hope, Abraham believed. He had an eager anticipation that he would in fact receive what God had promised. That's saving faith. Fourthly, saving faith is contrary to human expectations. Again, verse 18 says, in hope he believed against hope. There the word hope is used with a slightly different nuance. He's saying when you look at human hope, when you look at what we expect to happen, Abraham had no reasonable expectation that what God promised him would happen. It was against hope. It was contrary to human expectations. And faith in God's Word often is. Number five, we saw that saving faith is a gift of God's grace. If you're here this morning and you have believed in Jesus Christ, it is not because you are smarter than the rest of the people on this planet. It's because God in His goodness and grace gave you the gift of faith and the capacity to believe. Now that's not an excuse not to believe. The gospel is a command. Jesus said, repent and believe. Nevertheless, where faith is exercised, it is a gift that God has given The sixth quality of justifying faith that we discovered together, we we noted the last time that we studied this passage together, and it is absolutely crucial. And it is that saving faith is founded on God's Word. Listen, faith, true faith, is not confidence in something outside of God's Word. True faith is not confidence in visions and dreams, in spiritual experiences that we've supposedly had, or in feelings, or impressions, or subjective revelations where we think God has spoken to our minds, or our own thoughts, or our own conclusions, or extra-biblical revelations. True faith has only one legitimate foundation, and that is the Word of God. In Abraham's case, of course, there was no written word, and so he had the verbal word of God. Now that the canon has been completed, God only speaks to us through his word. It's a different message for a different time, but this is where our faith must be, in the word of God. Now, what promises specifically were the foundation of Abraham's faith? We noted that it wasn't just about the land promises of of that land in Israel of the land that we call Israel. Instead, it was in fact the spiritual aspects of the promise. He did believe that God would give him the land. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that his saving faith was rooted in the promise of spiritual blessing to him who didn't deserve spiritual blessing, who only deserved God's curse like you and I do. In other words, his faith was in being declared righteous by faith and receiving the spiritual blessing of forgiveness and justification made possible only by his coming seed, that one descendant of his who would be the Redeemer, the Messiah. Remember Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. He saw it and was glad. He he looked forward to it. He anticipated it and he saw it and was glad. 
In other words, Abraham believed in essence the same gospel you and I believe, just in a more basic, simplistic form. Abraham believed God's Word. Folks, that's how genuine faith always works. In fact, last time we defined faith this way. Faith is believing God's Word and acting on it. That's faith. Believing God's Word and acting on it. Now that's where we left off last time. There are still in this passage several other qualities of true saving faith that I want us to see this morning. So let's look at them together. First, first of all, I want you to notice a seventh quality of saving faith. It's this. Saving faith believes God in spite of our weaknesses and circumstances. Notice verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, first of all, let me deal with a textual issue here. If you've ever read this verse in, say, the King James Version or some similar version, you'll notice that it says exactly the opposite. Here's how the King King James reads. He considered not his own body. He didn't contemplate his own body. Well, the manuscript evidence is far stronger for the reading here in the New American Standard than in the King James. But this is one of those very strange occasions when absolute opposite readings make exactly the same point. Because the point of both is that Abraham did not allow his circumstances to weaken his faith. So let's look at what the Scripture says here. It says, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated. Look at that word. The word means to look with reflection on, to fix your mind on something. If you want a picture of it, it's to mentally stare at something. That's the idea. He contemplated. The point here is faith isn't a blind leap. It doesn't close its eyes to reality. Abraham was very much aware of his circumstances and his weaknesses. Notice what he contemplated. Verse 19. He contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, Abraham carefully weighed the reality that at the age of 99, his ability to reproduce was as good as dead. There was a whole lot of question about whether anything would happen. And he considered at 90 years of age, as Sarah was, that Sarah's womb was dead. There was no way. And notice Paul's point. In spite of contemplating those two very clear realities, those were absolutely true. In spite of that, he believed God in spite of those overwhelming circumstances. I mean, think about Abraham here now. He first received the promise of descendants when he was 75 years old in Genesis 12. God reiterated that promise to him when Abraham was 85 in Genesis 15. 14 years later, when Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 90, God told them the two of them together were going to have Isaac in Genesis 17. And when Abraham was 100... Isaac was finally born. You see what Paul is saying? 
Abraham carefully contemplated the human impossibility of accomplishing what God promised. But he did so without becoming weak in faith. Verse 19 says, without becoming weak in faith. Now that expression does not refer to his initial reaction. You remember his initial reaction. In Genesis 17, 17, when God said, Abraham, you're 99 years old, you and your 90-year-old wife Sarah are going to be the ones who are going to have a child together. Abraham's response was to fall on his face and laugh. That was his initial reaction. The point here is Abraham's life as a whole, not his initial reaction. He's saying he didn't weaken in faith when you look at his life over time, when you look at how he lived day in and day out. He lived the 25 years anticipating the fulfillment of God's promise. By the way, I love God's sense of humor. Abraham falls on his face and laughs when he's told he and Sarah are going to have a son. And guess what he has to name the child? Isaac. You know what Isaac means? He laughs. Think about that. Every time Abraham called his son, he was reminded of his lack of faith. But God was faithful. Twenty-five years passed between the promise and the birth of Isaac in Genesis 21. Here's Paul's point. If Abraham had only focused on himself and his circumstances and his own weaknesses, it would have undermined and weakened his faith. But that isn't all Abraham considered. That isn't all he contemplated. He did contemplate his own weaknesses and his own circumstances. But he also, verse 20 says, focused on the promise of God. And verse 21, he focused on God's power to do what he promised. You see, focusing on God's promise and on God's power kept Abraham from becoming weak in faith, even though he kept thinking about himself and his circumstances. Listen, this is a a crucial principle of faith. If all you do is focus on your weaknesses and on your circumstances, whatever they may be, I promise you, it will erode and weaken your faith. That's true when it comes to believing the gospel. Remember here, in context, Paul is using Abraham to illustrate justifying saving faith. And when it comes to believing God's promises of forgiveness and a right standing with Him in the gospel, many hear God's promises but choose to focus only on themselves and their sinfulness and their weaknesses instead of God's promise and power. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And you think to yourself, look, you know, I'm, I'm too old. I have lived too many years as God's enemy. He doesn't want me. Or maybe you hear the gospel and you say, no, Tom, listen, you don't understand. I'm just too bad. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the kinds of sins I've committed. You don't know what goes on in the dark halls of my mind. Or maybe you think, you know, I'm just too unworthy. I don't deserve anything from God. Listen, all those things are true. They're true of you and they're true of me. 
We are unworthy. We are sinners who deserve nothing from God. We have lived as rebels too long against Him. But that doesn't change the promises of God. Don't let yourself and your sin and your circumstances affect your confidence in God's promises in the gospel. Romans 10.13 is still true. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be spiritually rescued. God is still a saving God. He still made promises that those who repent and believe in His Son will be forgiven and be declared right with Him. John Calvin writes, Let us also remember that the condition of us all is the same with that of Abraham. All things around us are in opposition to the promises of God. God promises immortality We are surrounded with mortality and corruption. He declares that He counts us just, but we are covered with sins. What then must be done? We must pass by ourselves and all things connected with us that nothing may hinder or prevent us from believing that God is true. That's faith. By the way, let me say that For us who are believers, for us who are Christians, this principle applies to the faith with which we live out our Christian lives. If you choose in your Christian life to solely focus on yourself and your weaknesses and your sins and your circumstances, whatever they may be, if that's where you spend all of your time and mental energy focusing, I can promise you this, it will weaken and erode your faith. You need, as Abraham did, to focus on the promises of God in His Word and on the power of God to do what He promises. There's an eighth quality of faith, and it's this. Saving faith refuses to accommodate unbelief. Verse 20. He contemplated his own weaknesses and circumstances, yet... With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. The Greek word translated waver here literally means to be divided in one's mind. So in a context like this, it means to be uncertain, to be at odds with yourself over the believability of something, to doubt, or as it's translated here, to waver. Now this doesn't mean that Abraham never struggled to believe God's promise. Again, don't forget his initial reaction. But the direction of his life, the pattern of his life, was not unbelief. Now, the point Paul is making here is so crucial for us to understand because we often excuse a lack of faith. Paul wants us to understand that the absence of faith refusing to believe God's Word is a sin against God. It's the serious sin of unbelief. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part seven of his series, A Portrait of Faith. Tom will have the concluding part eight for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. But Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us? You know, what I love about this passage is the reminder that as Christians, 
if we choose to focus solely on ourselves and on our weaknesses, our sins, our circumstances, whatever those are, if that's where we spend all of our time and mental energy, then absolutely it will weaken and erode our faith. We need, just like Abraham did, to focus on the promises of God in his word and on the power of God to do what he's promised. It's really a matter of getting our focus off of ourselves and trusting our Heavenly Father to accomplish exactly what he says he will do. He kept his promises to Abraham, and he will keep his promises to you. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. 